Welcome to the Campus Christian Fellowship Podcast for the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Northern Iowa. Let's continue our new Lens series by talking about 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34. And just as a reminder, we're calling this series a new lens um, because what Paul does in writing 1 Corinthians is he's taking all the problems and issues that he sees in the church in Corinth and he's applying that gospel lens to it to say, in light of the gospel, this is how you should do things. This is how you should change the way um, that you're thinking or the, or the things that you're doing. So let's uh, start digging into some text and let's see what Paul has to say to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34. And we'll start just by reading verses 17 to 22. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So one of the things I want to point out about Paul, and and some of you may already know this, is is that Paul sometimes gets a little bit sarcastic. Um, There there are things that he says, and and he, um, I I think the point that he's trying to make is, I I can't believe that you're doing this. And and so he gets a little sarcastic, he gets a little sassy. um, And it's kind of hard sometimes to tell that within text, because there's no, in, in ancient Greek and even in modern English, there's no indicator as to, I'm being sarcastic here. In, in a written form. Sometimes it's even hard to tell sarcasm in a spoken form. Um, but there's no clear indicator. So sometimes we have to dig through and say, ah, I think Paul's being sarcastic here. And so as a reminder, we have a church that's not united. The church in Corinth has all these um, ethnic groups that are part of it. You've got a group of Romans, a group of Greeks, and a group of Jews that are part of this church. But not only are there there are divisions among ethnic lines. There's also socioeconomic divisions. Um, it's, it's likely that the Roman group is kind of the ruling class, and so they're most likely the upper class, kind of the rich amongst the people there. So they're the wealthy Romans. You've got the Greeks who are originally from this area, but sometimes what happens when Rome comes over and takes over an area is they start to enslave the local population. Um, so it's likely that the Greeks are actually a lower class um, citizens, some of them even slaves. Uh, and the Jews, most of the places where they come about, what they tend to do is they follow um, business, they move for work, those kind of things. And so the Jews tend to make up uh, the middle class in the areas where they're found. And so we likely not only have these ethnic breakdowns, but we have economic breakdowns, which just further keeps these groups in their own divisions, keeps them apart from one another. And that's why I think uh, Paul's being sarcastic in verses 18 and 19. Let me reread those for you. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Verse 19 there, uh, I, I think is when Paul's being sarcastic. He's trying to let them know, guys, you're... 
you're trying to divide amongst yourselves so that you can say, well, this group is better than this group and, and we're better than those other people. And, and you're causing that to make even wider divisions when, yeah, you've got some ethnic differences, you've got some socioeconomic differences, but in the church, you should still be able to work together. You should still be one group. You should still be the family of God. And so Paul, I think here, is being sarcastic to call out this point. You guys aren't united the way you're supposed to be. And then he continues in this text by focusing on um, the Lord's Supper, the communion, when they come together to eat. And it's a little bit different than, than what we, when we have communion these days. We tend to have our, our little bit of juice and, and our little chiclet of bread. And that's what we call communion when we come together. But the ancient church, when they came together, they would have a big feast. Uh, they refer to it as an agape feast, a love feast. So it would be this big meal that they all gathered together around one table and they all ate together. And that was the point of that, that meal, to show that equality, to show that everyone can be at the table together, to show that we, we share all that we have. Because what everyone was supposed to do is bring what they could, and together it would make this great feast so that everybody had um, enough and, and could have um, be satisfied in their meal, even if they didn't bring very much in the first place. There would be enough provided by the community all coming together that they would still be able to have a great feast. But in Corinth, there's, there's issues because what's happening is the rich, um, they don't have to do as much during the day. They kind of have more of an idle life. Um, that's, we still see that with, with the rich today that sometimes people have so much money already, they don't need to have a job. And so during the day, they just kind of get to do whatever they want. And so I think the rich in Corinth had this kind of problem or luxury even. Um, that what they would do is they'd bring all that they had to this big feast and they'd come early. And then while they were there, they're like, well, we've got all this food and we've got all this time, so let's just start the feast now. And so they'd come early, they'd consume, they'd eat the whole feast, and then the poor who were working all day wouldn't be able to get to that feast until later. And by the time they got there, most of the resources had been consumed. Most of the food had already been eaten by the rich. And so the rich richer, filling themselves up, stuffing themselves, getting drunk, and the poor have nothing. And so the church has this idea of sharing these resources, but the church in Corinth is falling short because the rich are just not noticing. Um, I, I think they're getting content with the fact that they've invited the poor people and they've already agreed to share the table, but they're not realizing that they're not truly giving to the poor because they're consuming all that they bring before the poor are even able to get there. It's not truly sharing. It's, it's not what communion is really supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like. And so that's why Paul is so harsh in saying, you know, what? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, no, I will not. You're, you're humiliating those who have nothing. You're despising the church of God by what you're doing. You're not noticing the fact that the poor are not even able to come at the same time that you are and that you're eating up everything so that they get nothing. And I think as we look through all different societies, um, even today throughout all time, that, that there's a tendency of that with, with the rich, with the wealthy, with those who have more than enough, is they have most of their relationships are with other rich people, and, and they just overlook the poor. And it's not even necessarily that they don't care about the poor or that they don't want to help those uh, that have less. It's just they don't even notice that there are those that have less, and they don't notice that the things that they're doing aren't truly helping the poor. 
Um, so Paul continues on in this, and, and then he gives this uh, the the classic um, thing that we still read today at, at t- the times of communion, which is First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty three to twenty six. And and in here, I think what Paul is trying to do is lay out by reminding people of the first Lord's Supper of what communion is really supposed to look like. And so he writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Just kind of as a side note, one of the things I love about this passage is that Corinthians was um, arguably one of the first, if not the first, of the New Testament um, books to be written. It's one of the first letters that we can trace back. And this is where we take our, our kind of common reading for communion time. It's from this passage. And so this is maybe one of the oldest kind of things that have been put together as part of Christian orthodoxy doctrine practice. That things that we do, we recite this. And the timelessness of this is, is just so cool to me as, as a history buff that this might be one of the very first things the church ever said together as they gathered together to take communion. And we still say it today. That's such a cool thing to have this as what we say for communion time. But I also think we should be digging through this text a little bit and and really notice what happens uh, at the very beginning in verse 23, that Paul says, uh, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And so it's a reminder that this the context of this Lord's Supper happening was the night that Jesus was betrayed. And not only was it the night that he was betrayed, but of those people that were sitting at the table, one of them was his betrayer. Judas was there. Judas was offered the bread. He was offered the cup. We're supposed to think about the communion table as a table of equality, of a table of opportunity, of a table that we look past who people are and we invite them to come and to share a meal. And I think that's a big part of why Paul's reminding them of what happened at the very first Lord's Supper is to say that you got to notice people. And you also got to be willing to look past whatever divisions there might be. Because Jesus even did that with his betrayer. And he was welcomed to the table. Then Paul continues on talking about communion and, and the Lord's Supper and what it's supposed to look like in verses 27 to 34. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. We, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give directions when I come. The ending of this passage has some harsh language. And I think oftentimes we misuse 
the harsh language here. Um, we maybe even misunderstand what it's trying to say. A lot of times we take these passages and talks about whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And we apply this just to sin, to our own selves, to, to having a time of self-analysis to make sure, well, God, uh, let me repent of this sin. Let me, And we have a time of confession. Uh, now, don't mishear me. Uh, I, I think there's a place for that. And I think confession is something that, that we need to do. We need to recognize our sin and, and bring it to God and, and seek the repentance that, that he offers. But I think what Paul's trying to say here, what makes most sense in the context with the rest of the passage, is Paul's saying, have you noticed your neighbor? When you came to this table, were you just thinking of yourself and what you could consume? Were you just thinking of, of what's going on in your own life? Or did you notice your neighbor? Because if you don't notice your neighbor, that's how you bring judgment on yourself. In fact, um, in, in 29, it says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And the key there is, I, I think when Paul's saying the body, he's not saying about one individual person. We, we tend to individualize scripture. It's, it's just the way our culture has built us to, to focus on things. We, we make it about the self. We make it about the individual. It's, it's a Western thought ideal to do that. But Paul is, is Jewish. He's writing from an Eastern perspective. And that perspective tends to focus on community. And, and so I think what Paul's saying here is, he's saying without discerning the body, he's referring to the body of Christ, the body of believers, the community of the church. And again, I think he's saying if you're eating and drinking and not paying attention to your neighbor who's starving, you're eating and drinking that judgment on yourself. And then verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. I think it's saying directly, because you've missed out on what your community is going through, you're not noticing the poor. These people are getting sick and they're dying because they're not properly nourished. They're not being helped. Those that have more than enough are not noticing those that don't have enough and it's causing this judgment on the community where people are getting sick and some are dying. So I think that's a big part of what Paul's saying here. And even in verse 33, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Make sure you wait for the poor to get to the table so that they can have enough so that those who have an abundance, who have more than enough, can give of that to those who don't have enough. Just look around. Notice those who are poor. Notice those who don't have enough. And Paul does something interesting here. Uh, I think he's being subtle here for a good reason. He's not directly calling out the rich. Uh, I think he's doing things to say, pay attention, know what's going on. But he never condemns them for being rich. He never says, and it's sinful to have so much that's not what Paul's saying. Uh, he's trying to remind those who are rich, who, those who do have more than enough, that there's an opportunity, uh, a responsibility to be helping those who don't have enough. It's not a sin to be rich, 
but it's sinful to be so self-consumed that you don't notice others who need help. I think God blesses some to, to have more than enough so that they can give out of that abundance to help those that don't have enough. And as we think about our own churches, our own culture, um, to me this shifts to this idea of kind of the global economy, that the things that we do affects the rest of the world. And that our society, our economy, is, is actually built quite a bit on, on the oppression of others. That there's still slavery going on today. Uh, it's, it's largely for, for like manufacturing and labor. And, and there are ways that our country directly benefits from the fact that some of our things are made in China and India and, and, and sweatshops and, and other places. We benefit, we get cheaper goods because people, the poor, are not being noticed and are being actually exploited. One of the things that uh, I've had my eyes open to more recently is that of fair trade and um, how that can be just a little bit of, of what we can do to make a global difference. Uh, there are products like like clothing and coffee and chocolate and and all kinds of other things out there that a lot of what we get from other countries um, we haven't gotten fairly we we haven't made sure that the people who are who are farming that that cotton or that coffee the people who are sewing together those pieces of clothing that they're not receiving a, a fair living wage f for what they're doing. And the idea behind fair trade is that, is that hopefully every step in the process, people have been treated fairly. And that we're getting those goods without hurting others in the process. And so one of the things that I try to do a better job of is pay attention to those things. Of knowing that because of, quite frankly, just being an American... <laughs> that I've got an abundance, that I've got more than enough compared to many other people in the rest of the world, and so that I can pay a little bit more to get my coffee, to get my chocolate, to get my clothes. I can pay a little bit more to make sure that the people who are producing those are being treated better. And I think if we have more people doing that, it starts to stem the tide, and it doesn't become economically viable to continue those oppressive practices around the world. And so that's something that I think we need to focus on as, a, as the church to do a better job of. And it, it takes an adjustment. It takes a change in lifestyle. It takes having to budget a little bit more here and there. Um, but I think it's worth doing. It's, it's hard as it's called students to think that we have an abundance, and, and I'm not trying to put anything on, on, on any of you uh, who are listening that I, I don't know where you're at in life, and, and you may truly be struggling, and you may truly be the poor who's not being seen, um, and to that, I, for one, I apologize, and also reach out. Uh, I want CCF to be a place where we notice 
the poor, that we notice those who are often overlooked and, and try to be a way to help um, and to help with dignity and, and respect. Um, and so that's something that we're working on as well, to try to do a better job of, of being what the church is supposed to be, of not overlooking people. But I think in general, most of us um, have more than enough. There are more places where we can give, where we can help. Whether Whatever resources we have, if that's time, if that's finances, there are things that we can give to help those that don't have enough. And some of the key to that is just paying attention and, and, and noticing. And, and so I hope as we go about our weeks, um, these words that Paul has, has spoken will, um, will be an impact. And, and we'll start to notice the ways that maybe we can make adjustments so that we can be um, those that have an abundance who also give properly. That out of our extra, out of our more than enough that we can give so that those who don't have enough can survive, can have better lives, can feel like they've been equally invited to the table and get to equally partake of this feast of God's blessings. So let's make that our challenge. Let's make that our lifestyle to, to seek out ways to do fair trade, to make sure that that happens, to seek out ways to help those in our communities, those that are overlooked, to give something so that they can have enough since we have more than enough. Hey, thanks for checking us out and spending some time with us this week. Quick reminder, if you're a student at Iowa State, University of Northern Iowa, or University of Iowa, we would love to connect you with a campus minister. So reach out to ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we will make sure we get you connected. Be sure to specify your school in an email. Additionally, if you have questions about anything you've heard today or anything that's on your mind, we would love a chance to answer that here anonymously. So you can also just drop a line there. Again, that is ccf.uiowa at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week and please know that we are praying for you.